Hey, friends. We have a first on the podcast this week, a repeat guest. We've never done it before. But there are a few guests that have been on that have delivered so much information and shared so much knowledge that I feel the need to bring them back for an encore performance. Welcome to episode 141 of This Shit Works, a podcast dedicated to all things networking, relationship building, and business development. I'm your host, Julie Brown, speaker, author, and networking coach. And today I am joined again by Nicole Khalil to discuss her new book, Validation is for Parking. How Women Can Beat the Confidence Con. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. Nicole was one of my first guests on the podcast. Her episode went live on January 20th, 2021. And it was all about confidence builders and derailers. In the two years since that episode was released, Nicole wrote and published her first book, Validation is for Parking, a title which I absolutely love, but I don't just love the name. I love the lessons inside, lessons about how perfectionism and keeping up appearances is an addiction. How we lift, shape, emphasize, hide, reveal, confine, squeeze, starve, and consume in order to look perfect because we think that is where confidence comes from. When actually confidence comes from knowing who you are and who you are not and being absolutely fucking okay with both of those things. So how do we do that? How do we learn who we are and who we aren't? And how do we learn to love both the haves and the have-nots within ourselves? Well, let's bring Nicole in to begin to walk us through this journey. Nicole, my first repeat guest, welcome back to the podcast. Oh my gosh, Julie. Thank you for having me. I've never been more excited about an encore. (laughs) 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 Listen. You and I have very similar chapters in our books and actually chapters and approaches to to our books. We both use the power of lists to make a point and to set us up for success in the topic of expertise that we're talking about. And there is a chapter in your book titled Know Who You Are, in which you walk the reader through a listing exercise, which if you've read my book, you know how much I love lists. Can you describe that? that know who you are exercise and why it's such a powerful tool in confidence building. Yeah. So first, I fucking love lists. Like I have lists everywhere. And sometimes I do things and then I write it on my list just so I can cross it out. Like that is how much I love lists. So as it relates to the first part of confidence, which is knowing who you are, I think I sort of defaulted to lists because that's sort of my go-to. But ultimately, what I'm trying to accomplish here is giving us the opportunity to become deeply, intimately connected with our superpowers, our strengths, our unique abilities, what makes us special, different, if strengths, if you want to be boring about it, right? But I just wanted to give us the opportunity because if confidence is fundamentally about the trust we have in ourselves, it stands to reason that knowing our gifts and those unique abilities are going to help us to establish 
connect to and feel grounded in that trust. So that was kind of the first part of it. What I began to realize in doing this for myself, and I work like you with a lot of women, I work with men too, but a lot of women. And and I've done this exercise with enough women to know that the average amount of things that women can come up with, that they know about themselves, that they trust about themselves, that they appreciate about themselves is six things. Think about that for a second. However many years you've been on this planet, all of your experiences, all the things that you've done, that you've accomplished, that you've achieved, and the only, like, we can come up with six things. And so I thought, like, maybe this exercise is too complicated. Maybe there really is only six things to know. And so I asked women to do this same exercise for the people they love in their lives, their significant others, their best friends, or their children. And then the average amount that people could come up with was 32. And so it was this big aha moment where I was like, we are so focused, especially Mm -hmm. as women, on others. We feel like we need to be everything to everyone all the time. And there are positives of that, you know, empathy, nurturing. But I think we take it a little bit too far or a lot too far so much so that we become disconnected from ourselves and what makes us us in our quest to have things look good to other people to take care of other people to be there for other people to you know achieve with and for other people and so ultimately this was about giving people the opportunity to reconnect with what makes us us and feel really grounded and connected to it as a reminder before we have to make a big decision or before we take a big risk or when we're up to something big. I think so often when we introduce ourselves, we say what we do for a living. It's kind of boring if you think about it. Yeah. What if I shared question? It's the most hated question. Oh my gosh. Well, so good to know because it, you know, that's my reaction. I feel like who cares? Right. Right. But If I said to you, hi, I'm Nicole. I'm an excellent decision maker. I love my family, full stop, no negotiations. And I mean what I say and I say what I mean. It's so great to meet you. Mm -hmm. Like, Wouldn't that be a more powerful way to connect, a more intimate... And and then you know what you're getting. Like, There isn't confusion about who I am. I agree with you. It is a more powerful way to connect, but I think it would take people off guard because we're so used to very beige answers to our questions. For example, how are you? I'm fine. I'm good. I'm busy. Right. You know, we're so used to very beige answers that I would, I could see that almost putting somebody back on their heels. Yeah. I mean, I'm not suggesting we walk around and do this in the grocery store, you know, but I do think. In some cases, in some environments, it's worth putting people back on their heels. It'll separate mm-hmm. you, distinguish you yeah. from everybody else, at least make you memorable. Mm-hmm. And maybe more importantly, is that you say it to yourself before you walk into mm-hmm. conversations or negotiations or events. Again, so you're just grounded in, in who you are and what you bring to the table. And so some of the questions you ask the reader to ask themselves when they're making this list and through this listing of self-discovery is, what do I like about myself? So I'm sure that's probably hard for women to come up with things because we're so used to like putting, so you know, like being 
self-deprecating. Yes. I'll also add one other challenge with that is how often women go to physical attributes. Yeah. What do I like about myself? I like my eyes. Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm not against that. Like, love your eyes. What do I care? But it, it's the <laughs> default that we have Yeah. so quickly to go to that. And so I'm not going to name all the questions because, but there are some that I do think will make the listeners kind of pause and say, oh, that's a really interesting question. What seems to come more naturally to me than to others? That's a really great one because that is sort of like your inherent genius, your inherent superpower when things come naturally to you. Another one is what draws people to me? That's really great because that's your ability to connect with other people. Like, why do people want to be around you? There are more questions in the book. I'm not going to give them all away because I want everybody to buy the book and read it and do this and do this exercise. But when I got to this chapter of the book, which is not too far, I mean, I'm maybe it's like a third of the way into the book. I immediately was like, yes, we both have chapters on lists because I think it's such a great way to, again, it's a self-discovery. And when I did the list yourself approach for networking, it was a self-discovery to discover all the things, all the ways you had to connect with other people. There's also a chapter titled Own Who You Are Not, Embrace Yourself Anyways. So walk us through that one. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, this is a lot harder mm-hmm. or at least something we have a lot less practice with. I have come to believe that we live in a society that wants to you know, reinforce the messaging that we're all wonderful all the time. And so anytime anybody attempts I'll just say for myself, anytime I attempt to own what I'm not, it is crazy how often somebody will come and I put in air quotes and try to save me, right? Like, oh no, you're you're not that. You're totally... So like, for example, I often say, I'm not a sweet person. Nobody mm-hmm. who knows me has ever described me as sweet. I'm yeah. kind, I'm generous, not sweet. <laughs> like if Jay always says, if he met somebody and was like, oh, I've met your wife. She's so sweet. He'd be like, either you haven't met her or Or you're you're lying. Right? (laughs) (laughs) So not my thing. But I'll tell people that. I'm like, oh, no, no, you're so sweet because we cannot handle this for ourselves and for other people. You see this on social media. Somebody will say, you know, something negative about themselves first. A lot of times it's attention seeking. But even Mm -hmm. if it's not, how many people come in and you're beautiful, you're and it's like, ugh. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all of that to say, there are things that are not meant for us. There are people that are not meant for us. Mm-hmm. There are things that we are not meant for and people we're not meant for. And this is this opportunity, again, self-discovery, building trust in ourselves to acknowledge what we're not. So in the book, I give an easy one because I think we all have easy ones. Like, I'm not tall. <laughs> that is not <laughs> Neither am I. hard. <laughs> I have five, two. Five, one and a half, but I say five, two, because I feel better about it. Yeah, no, no, it's just, I'm not. And it doesn't really matter to me because my height has never been an issue as it relates to what I want. Maybe my teenage years, you know, a few months where I thought being a model was like the trail to happiness. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But, or if I need to reach something on a really high shelf. Other than that. My house is filled with those little foldable step stools. Exactly. I have them everywhere. But other than that, not being tall does not matter at le- in the least. So it's easy for me to accept that. Mm-hmm. I'll give some other examples that I think people find a little bit more challenging to accept. 
I'm not a patient person. Mm-hmm. I am not the best mother. I am not the smartest person in the room. Now, all of those things, my perspective or interpretation, you know, the fact that I'm not tall is a little bit more factual. And there's really nothing you can do about that. It's not a skill you can work on. We can't stretch right. our bones. Exactly. You know? Which is why I think sometimes it's just easier to accept. But when it comes to the work that I do, what's important to me, my mission, being a patient, being a great mother, and being smart play a part, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, so how do I accept that I am not those things? Well, mm-hmm. so first, I had to ask myself, does it matter? In all three of those cases, the answer is yes. Being uh-huh. tall, the answer is no. Yeah. Then is it something I want to develop? Like you said, a skill I want to, uh, or something I want to get better at? Is this something I can leverage or I, I can delegate? Is there an opportunity to reframe this in my mind? So patience is not something that's ever going to be my strength. It is something I work on a little bit because it matters in relationships. And also any of my work that requires a great deal of patience is typically what I hire for, is what yeah. I delegate, you know. So yeah. embracing that I'm not a patient as opposed to making me bad or wrong or I suck or what's wrong with me, in owning it, I have the freedom and flexibility to do something about it. And it has been such a game changer for me. Now, when I say I'm not a great mom, that's horrifying for a lot of mothers because that is you know, their number one goal. Mm-hmm. I'm a good mom. I'm an engaged mom. I love my child and I do everything I can to keep her physically, mentally, and emotionally safe like from the really bad stuff. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I'm not a Pinterest mom. I'm not somebody who's ever desired to stay home and be a work from inside the home mom. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, have sleepless nights worrying about whether or not I'm raising my child perfectly. I don't read all the parenting books. Mm-hmm. And I've just came to the conclusion for myself, and I'm not suggesting that other people do this, but it has never been a deep desire for me to be the best mom. Mm-hmm. My daughter got this mom, and I don't think <laughs> it's by accident. She came through me. Yeah. And so I have to imagine that the very best thing I can do is show up for her as my authentic, confident, true self. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the rest of it will work itself out. So I mean, again, I could go on for days, but I think the opportunity for us is to really connect with, there are so many things that we're not. And when we acknowledge those, we are able to set those aside and create more time and opportunity f- to focus on what we're meant for, to mm-hmm. focus on our unique gifts and abilities. I have this belief that we're all spreading ourselves too wide and too <sighs> thin. And this approach allows us to narrow down and hone in on what really matters to us. So if we do this exercise, we do the list of the things we are and we do the terrifying task of writing down what we aren't and being okay with it. Where does building confidence come in here? So wait, how does that actually work? Yeah. Do these two things help us build confidence? Phenomenal question. And frankly, nobody's ever asked me that before. So wait. I love that you did. Yeah, really? I know. <laughs> yeah. People just sort of buy into it, right? <laughs> Advantage of being seen as an expert, I guess. So the answer is... First, 
I call this the confidence con. The reality is most of us don't even know what confidence is anymore because mm-hmm. it's been misinterpreted and there are mixed messages about it everywhere we look. In fact, I would submit to you that we can find way more information out there on how to look confident mm. than we can on how to be or become confident. That's the fake it till you make it like yes. mentality that is so prevalent right now. Yeah. The unfortunate part is the messaging also includes that the way we build confidence is, is from external sources. Right. If somebody chooses us as their partner, if we get the raise, if we get the promotion, if we have perfectly behaved children, if the number on the scale says a certain amount, mm-hmm. we get the messaging or if we buy this product or use it, we get the messaging that confidence is going to come to us from some external thing. So mm-hmm. back to your question. What I did is I looked into the etymology, the root of the word confidence. I wanted to go back to what it really meant at its foundation and at its core. And it started in the Latin, evolved to the Middle English, but ultimately every definition of confidence in any language stems from the word trust. Faith or belief come into play. And then it becomes more active and it says things like firm and bold trust. So what is confidence? Confidence is when you trust yourself firmly and boldly. All the other stuff is just noise, in my opinion. Mm. So how do these exercises play into trusting yourself? Mm -hmm. First, there's that measure of self-awareness, right? Know who I am, own who I'm not. So self-awareness then self-appreciation, then that kind of narrowing down of purpose, mission, what matters, what I'm meant for. And I think when we go through these exercises, it will get us clearer and more connected to what we can trust about ourselves, what doesn't matter, what we really want. And that's, I think, at least a starting point for building trust Mm -hmm. in self. I don't know if I read this or if I heard you say it, that you wrote this book and you sort of described it as a love story and a business book all wrapped into one. Yeah. What is the love story? And I think we figured out the business part, but how does it all wrap into one? Yeah. So I said, it's a love story wrapped in a business book. So I started out by writing a business book. That was my intention, right? So I was very much going to focus on confidence in the workplace. And as I began writing it and getting through the chapters and and the examples, all of a sudden, it took on a life of its own. And it evolved away from purely a business perspective. And then ultimately, I started recognizing that when we trust ourselves, we begin to appreciate ourselves. And I'm not the biggest fan of the self-love movement or the self-care movement. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of the concept. I don't like, I feel like it's sort of being bastardized a little bit, you know, like, so self-care doesn't mean massages and getting your nails done. It can mean that if that is important to you. But I feel like, you know, there's an element of privilege. You know, you have to have the time or the money to do self-care. And that's not at all how I interpret it. Okay, so I got off on a tangent. But ultimately, (laughs) the love story is the most important relationship you'll ever have. And it's the one with yourself. 
mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, you're the only person who's going to spend every minute of every day of your entire life with you. And you can't unfriend yourself. You can't divorce yourself. You can't throw your shit out on the lawn and say, I'm done with you. And so I invite people to begin to repair, restore, rebuild that relationship from a place of love. I think love and trust go hand in hand. If I asked you about the most loving relationships in your life, and I asked you to you know, explain what works about them, my guess is trust would fall pretty high on the list. Mm-hmm. Say you work on this. Say you work on the list. You work on the you're not list. Understand how to feel confident. I'm assuming it's not a constant. No. God, no. Somebody asked me that. Are we supposed to feel confident all the time? I'm like, well, God, if we're supposed to, then we're all failing. <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's just no, there is no way. We all experience fear. Mm-hmm. We all experience doubt. We are all nervous. And then we also talk about confidence in self versus confidence in things or abilities. Mm-hmm. So for example, I might start a new job. I might not feel confident in my ability to do that job yet because I haven't developed the skills. I'm new. I'm figuring things out. But there's the opportunity to be confident in myself and that I trust myself that I will figure it out. And I trust myself that I'll be okay, even if this isn't the job for me. So I very much say confidence will only ever always be a journey. There is no destination. Nobody plants a flag and it's like, whoo, I'm done. Mm -hmm. It is a journey. There's a lot of fits and starts and ups and downs. And I would submit that fear, doubt, failure, mistakes, missteps, all those things are an imperative part Mm -hmm. of the confidence building journey, even though they suck when you're in them. I mean, I would almost say, let's make another list. Like, let's make a list of the things we are confident in and a list of the things we aren't confident in. And maybe challenge ourselves to move the needle on one of the things we aren't confident in. Mm -hmm. Because I think in our first conversation, we talked about that confidence comes from repetition. It comes from doing something over and over again and and getting good at it. So I think if you were like, oh, I really want to be confident in this area of my life, whatever it be, a task, a skill, something yourself, like write it down and say, what does it take to be confident in this particular thing that I want to be confident in. So I have two comments on that. And it's going to sort of sound like a yes and a no. So (laughs) yes, I talk about the three P's as ways to build internal confidence, plan, prepare, practice, right? If you, I know you speak on many stages. My guess is the preparation Mm -hmm. and the practicing that you've done makes it so that each time you go and do it, you're that much more confident. Yeah. And that's true for any and all of us, right? So absolutely planning, preparing, and practicing will build the confidence. Now, we need to be careful that we don't over-rotate. So if you're practicing so much that you never go do the thing, mm-hmm. then that's an over-rotation. You're probably overthinking or, or fear of failure. And now we're in the derailers of confidence. Yeah. I will also throw out, I want to be careful because we do this a lot, again, especially as women, we 
confuse confidence and competence. Mm, okay. So competence is something you develop over time. Nobody is competent at just about anything the first time they do it, right? So it, it does take that practice. Statistics show that women are over-rotating on competence. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, that confidence will come to me from some sort of external source. When I've been here three years, then I'll feel confident. Yeah. When I get that promotion, then I'll feel confident. When I've gotten that designation or that license or whatever, then I'll feel confident. And so, yes, the three Ps will help us build internal confidence. But if you have tied your confidence to some sort of external thing you need to achieve down the road, then we're probably on the other side of confidence and over-rotating towards competence. So Mm. I think of them as concentric circles. They definitely overlap and one supports the other and back and forth and back and forth, but they are not the same. So what am I talking about? I think our opportunity, all of our opportunities is confidence on the road to competence. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, it's not a chicken or the egg. It's not confusing which one comes first. If all of your confidence is tied to your competence, then you're never going to feel confident because the competence piece is always a moving needle. Mm-hmm. For all of us. So for me, it was like, when I get this promotion, then I'll feel confident. When I got the promotion, guess what happened? I felt confident for about three minutes yeah. until all the fears and doubts and worries and did I deserve this and let, will my team respect me? And then mm-hmm. it was the next promotion. And, 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 it, and so ultimately what I'm talking about is the trust we have in ourselves as we are building the skill, the knowledge, the experience. So it's the, God, that thing that seems really scary, but I'm going to raise my hand because I trust myself that I'll figure it out mm-hmm. along the way. I trust that because of my previous experience, I can take that to the next experience and I can count on it and build off of it. Research shows that our male counterparts do this a little bit better than women, though there uh, can be argued that there might be an over-rotation on confidence. And I think the opportunity for all of us is confidence on the road to confidence. Let's do both. There's another tip that you have in your book that is also very similar to what I I never even saw the parallels until. I read your book because I always talk about, obviously mine's about networking. So it's just surrounding yourself with people. And I always talk about the importance of surrounding yourself with people who are invested in your success. And again, you need to do the same. It's a two-way street here. But one of your tips was to choose the people in your life wisely. And tell me how that plays into confidence. Yeah. So I don't believe anyone can give you confidence or take it away from you. But I definitely believe that people can support, encourage, play a role in your confidence or detract, distract, or participate in damaging your confidence. Mm -hmm. And so, and the reason I believe that nobody can give it or take it away is because it ultimately is our choice. So if somebody says something really horrible about me, as hard as it might be, I have the choice to determine what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I can let it affect me or I can let it go. And a lot of other options. Yeah. Similarly, we all know somebody who's met the most amazing person and they don't see themselves the way that person sees them. And, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't increase their confidence. 
because they don't choose it. They don't allow it. And so I, I just fundamentally believe that at the end of the day, we are responsible, not from a burden, but like able to respond, responsible to everything and everyone in our lives. So I consider my husband a great encourager, a great supporter, a great example of confidence in my life, but he didn't give it to me. Mm-hmm. I had to yeah. choose it. I had to see it. I had to massage it. I had to nourish it myself. Yeah. And I've had relationships in the past that were great discouragers of my mm-hmm. confidence, right? I actually had an ex-boyfriend tell me I was far too ambitious and nobody would ever love me if I was as career-oriented or successful as I was. And I had to choose whether or not, to, I know, or like bullshit, right? <laughs> but I, I, sorry, I to- listeners, my face just froze for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to choose in that moment whether yeah. to believe that, whether to take that in, whether... And so he didn't take away my confidence, but he was certainly a discourager mm. of it. He was certainly not, you know being supportive or or helpful. And so I think it is imperative that we think about, are the people in our lives encouragers or discouragers? Mm -hmm. Are they supporters or are they distractors? And that is, of course, in romantic relationships, friendships, family, but also in our work environments, our partnerships, the people we, you know, network with. That's something I always look out for. How is this person Mm-hmm. supporting or distracting from my own confidence. And I kind of trust that feeling that comes up. Yeah. I mean, I talk about this in my keynotes that Warren Buffett wrote an article. This was a number of years ago when he said the most successful people in the world have one thing in common. And that one thing is that their husband, wife, spouse, life partner, whatever, that that other person, their partner is invested in their success and is not intimidated by their success. and. I just found that it's just so telling that there has to be parity in your ability to be successful. I also throw out too, it's interesting. I do think we attract more who we are than what we want in our lives, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And so it was an interesting thing for me. And of course, everything's easier to see with the benefit of hindsight. I was with that person at that point in time in my life for a reason. Mm. I did not trust myself in most areas of my life. I was looking for everyone and everything external to bring me confidence, to bring me joy, to bring me happiness. You know, I thought if I was a certain size, if I made Mm -hmm. a certain amount of money, if I looked, Mm -hmm. then it would all work out. Not that surprising that I attracted somebody like that. Now, after all the confidence building work that I've done and work within myself, I don't find it that surprising that I, 10 years later, attracted my now husband, who is the biggest encourager, the biggest supporter. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say we don't have our problems or everything's perfect. But I believe that when you love yourself and trust yourself, you increase the probability of attracting people into your life that are going to love, trust, and appreciate you too. Yeah, it's funny. I've gotten to the point, you know, I, a number of years ago, and he's my friend now, but like the second time this gentleman met me, he said, I've never met anybody who's so self-possessed. And I didn't know what it meant. So I had to look it up. (laughs) 
And You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what that the fuck does that mean? Yeah. I was like, like the exorcist. <laughs> like, I literally was like, what does this guy think of me? And then I Googled it and it was like confident and knows who you are in control of your emotions. And I was like, shit, is that really how I come across? Because that's not how I felt. But I think at the time, I think that we also have to think that sometimes people see things in us that we don't see. The way I carried myself was so different from women that he'd met. And I think also I have my husband is like, you do you, boo. You know, like he look. You know, I always say he tasted the milk before he bought the cow. Like he knew what he was getting into. (laughs) But like when you can just be who you are, sometimes people will see things in you that you don't even see in yourself. And I go back to that where he just he felt compelled to say to me, I've never met anybody so self-possessed. I've never met anybody like you before in my life. And I was like, huh, is this how I come across? And then I played into that, not played into it, like changed, but like embraced it. I was like, oh, yeah. this is a good thing. Because for, for so much of my life, I'd been told that I was I was too much and I was too loud and I was too this and and shout, you know, hands up and shout, to, uh, shout out to all the women who've been told they were too much or too loud. But I, at that moment, like, it was almost like a switch flipped in me. I was like, oh, I'm going to embrace that. Like, this is a good thing. So mm-hmm. I think we also have to think about I know we shouldn't be getting confidence from external sources, but I think there's something to be said for sometimes people like a butterfly can't see its own wings. Agreed. So two thoughts came to mind when you were saying that. First, a loving reminder, whether it's conscious or unconscious, you chose to accept that interpretation of you and build on it, right? So Mm -hmm. like the alternative is possible too. You could have Somebody could have said that to you and you could have thought he meant exorcist and gone down the (laughs) tailspin of what's wrong with me and blah, blah, blah. Or you could have looked it up and gone, that's not me. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know me. So we all have, again, that choice and that option of what we do with information. But that brings me to the second piece is you mentioned earlier, fake it till you make it. My twist on that is choose it until you become it. Mm -hmm. Because... We think often that confidence is a feeling that we either have or we don't, or it's there or it's not. And one of the greatest gifts that I've been given in, in my you know, learning and understanding of confidence is to understand that it's not just a feeling, it's a choice that we get to make anytime we want. And so if you think of that example, he gave you the feedback that you're self-possessed, you looked at it, you thought about it, and you internalized it. Mm-hmm. In a positive way, you chose it and chose it and chose it. It's built on itself, which in my experience is what we do with confidence all the time. It builds on mm-hmm. itself. The more we choose it, the more we become it. So I, I just think that that's a cool opportunity for all of us. Yeah. And then maybe there's a lesson in there too, that if you see something in somebody like tell them because they might not have heard it before. I'd never heard that before. Yeah. So, well, one of the pieces of the things I know to be true about me list and knowing who you are that I invite people to do is go out and ask for feedback, get Mm. feedback. There are lots of ways to do that. So whether it's the people who know and love you or the people who work with you and respect you or assessment tools or astrology, if you're into (laughs) it, there's so many ways that we can go on this self-discovery, the self-awareness journey 
But if you just sit in a room and think about it in by yourself in a silo, I guess as most of us will have a hard time coming up with a really full list because we don't see ourselves mm-hmm. as well. And sometimes we need to get that outside perspective. And to your point, yes, if you see something and it's authentic and true for you to share that with another person, by all means, you never know what nugget is going to be the change maker yeah. in somebody's life, what they're going to choose to internalize and then double down on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this guy, this gentleman, his boyfriend, Todd, always listens to the podcast. I don't, I don't think Joe, well, maybe Joe does, but Todd, tell Joe I was talking about him. Like he always has something nice to say, always has something positive to say about me and whatever. Like he'll say to me, like, I love your voice. I love your voice on the podcast and nobody likes their own voice. So it's yeah. funny, you know, cause like every, I'm like, Oh my voice. Ew. I like, I hate listening to it and editing it. But so anyways, shout out to Todd and Joe. Nicole, I want to thank you for coming back again. Like this was so great. I want everybody to buy the book. Validation is for parking. But before we move on, how can people find you potentially? How do you work with people if they feel like, okay, I'm going to read the book, but I, I'm still like, I need a little bit more. Yeah. So thank you for asking. NicoleKhalil.com is the best way to find me and all my stuff is on there. Like you, the vast majority of my work is in speaking. So, you know, there's an event or where I'd be a great fit. I would love. And, and yes, I focus on confidence for women in the book, but I think confidence is gender neutral and universal. Right. And then I do coaching as well. You know, it's not the biggest part of my business, but it's like a passion project of mine to have that intimate connected relationship with people and be able to be a witness to them growing and building their confidence and seeing the dreams they chase and the Mm -hmm. risks they take and the decisions that they make from a confident place. And it's just so much fun. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'll put a link to the book, which I'm assuming you can buy on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all over the place. I'll put a link to the book, link to your website. Hopefully people will check you out. And thanks so much. This was great. Thanks for having me, Julie. It's my pleasure. Know who you are and accept and embrace what you aren't. (laughs) Sounds simple, right? (laughs) But I know there is a whole lot of work behind those two exercises. I will say, though, that the times in my life when I have let go of trying to be something that I am not were some of the most liberating and stress-free times of my life. Unburdening myself of that struggle made me appreciate all the things that I already am, and actually much more. Listen, if you know me, you know I love a listing exercise. So even if you don't buy the book, which you totally should, but even if you don't, give yourself the time to do those two exercises, making a list of who you are, what you know to be true about yourself, all the good things, and then make a list of all the things that you aren't and start getting comfortable saying, I'm not this, and I'm okay with that. That's a start, I think. I think we can all start there. Okay, on to the drink of the week, which is called The Confident Man, but I am changing it to The Confident Woman or Confident Non-Binary or Confident Gender Queer Person because this drink is a good one and everyone should be included. Here's what you're going to need. One and a half ounces of vodka, 
a half an ounce of St. Germain, which I just love, a half an ounce of Aperol, one ounce of grapefruit juice and ice. You're going to add all ingredients to a mixing glass. Add the ice, shake it, shake it, strain into a rocks glass filled with ice and garnish with a grapefruit slice. I mean, if you have one, not everybody's got grapefruit hanging around, but if you have a grapefruit slice, go ahead and do that. Okay. All right, friends, that's all for this week. If you liked what you heard today, listen, can I just ask, I know you hear this at the end of every episode, but if you have not left a review for the podcast on iTunes, could you please, I'm asking very nicely, could you please, I'd love to get up to a hundred reviews and I'm only at 72, so I'm 28 away from a hundred. So I'd really appreciate that. Also, if you want more Julie Brown, you can find my book, This Shit Works at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And, you know, while I'm on the review train, if you've read my book and you haven't given it a review on Amazon, I'd totally love it if you would do that too. You can find me on LinkedIn at Julie Brown BD, and you can find me on Instagram at Julie Brown underscore BD, or you can pop on over to my website, juliebrownbd.com. Until next week. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works. <laughs>